Well, hey, friends, welcome to the Better Bible Reading Podcast with Kevin Morris. So glad to be with you for this episode, and I'm here in my home study for this episode because I had to uh, get a hold of my recording equipment, and I couldn't do it in the right uh, time window, so I had to do my little secondary makeshift setup over here. So if the uh, video or audio quality isn't as good as it normally is, uh, then my apologies. Hopefully we'll be back to our normal uh, recording area on these uh, upcoming episodes. But anyways, uh, just in case you're wondering where in the world I'm at on the video version of this. Uh, but I wanted to make this episode today uh, focusing on some uh, answers that I got to an email I sent out. Those of you who are on the email list for better Bible reading, I asked the question of what some of your biggest roadblocks of Bible reading are. And uh, I put together a list of answers that I got, and I wanted to just kind of walk through them one by one and offer them in a way that's hopefully going to be helpful to any of you listening, but especially those of you who uh, put those answers uh, on, the, on the email conversation. Uh, because this year, I'm really trying to double down on making our Bible reading process count. And that means identifying those things that seem to be roadblocks, things that uh, have not uh, produced good results for us. And instead of doing the same thing over and over again and never getting any kind of results, never getting any improvement, uh, just becoming stagnant or maybe uh, turning our backs from consistent Bible reading altogether, uh, because we'll maybe use the excuse, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a, I'm not a teacher at my church, so what is the use of really trying to dig deep here if it's not my profession or not my vocation? Um, I want to get away from any of those mindsets, uh, but that means more than just saying it's not okay to feel that way. It actually means dealing with the things that are making us feel that way. Bible reading is more accessible today than it ever has been in world history, not only because of technology that we can literally read the Bible on our phone or computer or tablet, uh, but because of all of the different publishing options that are out there. We don't just have uh, one kind of Bible. We have dozens and dozens of translations, dozens of varieties in each translation, different kinds of Bibles. I've been doing Bible reviews on the YouTube channel. Hopefully you've had a chance to check those out. Uh, focusing on what I'm doing this year, an active Bible reading, writing, highlighting, and covering some Bibles that I'm using and have used in the past that have helped me do that. I want you to take advantage of that. Uh, but it really, when we think about stuff like that, it really brings an interesting uh, approach to how we deal with some of these uh, roadblocks, some of these issues that we have. So I want to just walk through them one by one and help you if you seem to be struggling with any of these or maybe all of them, and to just give you some advice for going forward. We have a lot of year left. We're only now into February. Uh, but at the same time, we could say we're already in February. January is already gone. And so hopefully uh, that is not uh, w waking you up to a sense of alarmism uh, as if we're trying to beat the clock. But it does mean that whatever kind of goals you had, uh, whatever Bible reading plan that you're working through, it means that we need to maybe adjust some things. If things don't seem to be working out, maybe find a different plan 
but the name of the game, regardless of where you find yourself, is seeing if these apply to you. And maybe they're going to bring up some other obstacles that you have that you haven't really thought about. Uh, but they will bring them to mind in a way that we can deal with them and move on in a way that's going to help you out. All right, so enough introduction here. Let's get into them. So the very first one that uh, I read in asking the question, let me actually pull up my email. Um, those of you who are on the email list, here's what I asked. I said, uh, I'm in the middle of creating some new content, but before I do so, I wondered if you could help me by telling me what is the biggest challenge you're currently facing when it comes to reading the Bible. And I gave some examples of what it could be. I feel like I don't have enough time in the day. I don't know what book to read first or what plan to use. I'm having trouble understanding certain books of the Bible. I don't really have a Bible that I like. Now, that was just kind of a broad umbrella statement there. Um, it could identify something that aligns with your current situation, uh, or it might bring up something else that is uh, right at home with what you're struggling with. But either way, uh, I wanted to kind of get that out there for information from those on the email list. And here's what I got back. The very first one is uh, the biggest roadblock is getting distracted. This can mean a whole wide range of things, uh, but we are in a distracted culture. We are a distracted people. I would presume that those of you who are listening to this podcast, those of you who are watching on YouTube, are probably in the middle of something else right now. I highly doubt that you sat down on your couch because you had some downtime or you're laying out at the beach or something like that and you decided, I have this window of time here where nothing else in my life is going on and I'm going to listen to Kevin's podcast. I'm going to watch the episode on YouTube. That's just not how we're wired. We're normally doing laundry. We're uh, in the middle of driving somewhere. We're in the middle of shopping. We're out running. Whatever the case may be, we are multitasking. Now, in some senses, we could say multitasking is great because it means we can get a whole lot more done uh, with a shorter amount of time. But you have to think about concentration. You think about focus. Think about uh, devoting ourselves to one thing. And suddenly that seems like a foreign concept. We just don't live our lives that way. We are such a fast-paced, multitasking culture that we forgot or don't even know how to concentrate on one thing anymore. This, unfortunately, creeps into Bible reading. We typically read our Bibles with our phone light right alongside us, with the TV on, with a whole bunch of other people in the room. Or maybe we have just totally given up on the, on the uh, pursuit of reading our Bibles in the traditional method, and so we decided we'll just get it via audio while we're driving home from work or driving to work or something like that. Still, Bible reading is very much wedged into that category of multitasking, and it ought not to be that way. We can't expect to really come to a full comprehension of God's Word if our reading and studying of it is just one thing of many different things that we're in the middle of doing. This is really a recipe for disaster, but it tends to happen. Even myself, as a teacher against this kind of thing, I find myself uh, falling into this at times, and I always want to um, 
pull myself up out of the pit and then help you if you're in this pit as well. So the issue of distraction could be from external circumstances. You're trying to read in a window of time or in a place that has far too much going on. Now, you could keep trying to read the Bible in that context, but you're probably going to get the same results of getting distracted, of your mind wandering off to this or that. So the very first thing you need to do is find yourself a dedicated place or dedicated time to reading the Bible. Something is going to be distraction-free. Now, I know that this is against the grain of 21st century people, but maybe try to read in a place that is outside the realm of technology. Don't read with your phone right next to you. Don't read with your TV going or the radio going or something like that. Don't read while you're like in the middle of a conversation with somebody else next to you, because that level of concentration is going to keep getting interrupted again and again, and you're just going to have the hardest time trying to focus on what's in front of you. So the very first thing you need to do is change whatever kind of environment you're in. Find one that is conducive to reading the Bible. Now, because of the way that our life is structured, this means that you're going to have to figure out what that window of time is. If you have a a loud, big family, maybe that means uh, getting the discipline to wake up before everybody else, where it's nice and quiet, where all of your friends and family are sleeping, so your phone's not going to be going off. Do what you need to do in order to have a good reading environment. But that's only one thing that we could tackle with getting distracted, because another thing is getting distracted with what's in front of us. It turns out, as sad as we might uh, want to feel about saying this, uh, we have to be willing to say it, that sometimes the same old Bible becomes so routine that we find ourselves no longer captivated by it. Now, we don't want to stay in that place. But if that is something that's happening, we need to be able to admit that. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't love the Bible anymore. It doesn't mean that we don't care what God has to say. But it might mean experimenting with a different kind of Bible. Or something as simple as experimenting with a different translation. If you have been born and raised in the King James Version Bible, or if you've found yourself gravitating to something like the NIV or the New Living Translation because it's just so modernized, it's so readable, and you just know all of your Bible verses based off of that, it might be time to move to something totally different. Now, I want you to stay in the realm of conservative translations. Most translations are. Some are a little wacky, but for the most part, most translations are at least, you know, on the money or thereabouts in terms of accuracy. And so maybe experiment with a different Bible translation. For example, I always find myself reading the ESV. That's my favorite translation. If I had to pick one, if you're allowed to have a favorite, that's what mine is. But I know that if I get stuck in the routine of ESV, 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 I could have the the symptom of comfort, the symptom of familiarity, so much so that I am numbed to what's before me because I've read it before. I've come across it before. I know what's going to be said next. This doesn't mean it's any less true. It doesn't mean it's any less important for my life, but the level of focus could be off. That's a symptom of the world that I live in. It's a symptom of the culture, but it spills over into the Bible. So we need to be 
reawakened with a fresh uh, reading of God's Word. This could mean a different translation. So something that I'd like to do every now and then is come across one that I don't read all that much. Now, I tend to pretty much stick to the ESV, the King James Version, or the New King James Version, and then in some cases, uh, like the New American Standard Bible. I'll kind of gravitate between those. Those are all word-for-word translation. Those are all uh, pretty uh, much a literal take on the Greek and Hebrew. But still, there's enough variety there. And in terms of the manuscripts that they're using, that's a whole other conversation, um, that I'm going to be uh, coming across something that pulls my attention because I'm thinking, well, that's not how the ESV says it. And then what that does is it makes me latch on to my Bible reading experience with a greater amount of focus than what I would normally have, just using the same old translation again and again. So this is something that I really recommend doing. Use the same rule of thumb if it has to do with something like what kind of Bible that you use. Now, the Bible that you use might always be a wide-margin Bible. It might always be a study Bible. It might always be a journaling Bible, or it might just be your plain old Bible without room for highlights, without study notes or anything. Whatever the case may be, gravitate away from that, even just if it's one day out of the week, to a different kind of Bible. If you never use a study Bible, pick one day and use a study Bible. If you always use a study Bible, pick one day to not use that. You get the idea, but these are little things that we can do that add up to a much more focused, dedicated reading experience. So the external circumstances of where you're at and when you're doing the reading, what's around you, technology, distractions, and what it is that you're reading, the the internal circumstance of what kind of Bible it is, what translation it is. Switching that up can go a long way into helping you and rescuing you from distraction. Number two, uh, understanding verse and passage context. What is going on in the verse? What is going on in the passage? And having trouble coming to an understanding of that and becoming a way thinking this is a little uh, disorienting to me. Probably one of the main culprits. In the New Testament, it's got to be the book of Revelation. In the Old Testament, it's the prophetic books. Now, what's the connection there? Well, the book of Revelation cites or alludes to the prophets more than any other book in the entire New Testament. So, in one manner of speaking, we're only going to know the book of Revelation in the New Testament as well as we know the Old Testament prophets like Ezekiel, like Isaiah, like Daniel, and others. But when we go to those books, we tend to be so confused because we don't understand the context. We don't know when this was being written. We don't know what particular people group it's being uh, written to in the original audience. And so when certain things are said or certain analogies are used, we're just totally out of touch here in 21st century Christendom. Now, what you can do to immediately help yourself with this, is find yourself a really good study Bible. Now, hopefully you know this. If you fell into category one and you use a study Bible a lot, maybe you don't struggle with this. But maybe if you're in category one and you never use a study Bible, then you tend to uh, not really know what's going on in certain books of the Bible. 
Now, my friend, Matt Everhard, I always like to recommend him because he really does make uh, wonderful content. And we've, you know, been on the, I've had him on the show before. I always like to reference that. So he is helpful here in recommending not only reading a study Bible, but make sure that whatever study Bible you do have is not necessarily one person's study Bible. Now, this doesn't mean that you hate the person that made the study Bible, but I'm thinking here of popular ones, such as the David Jeremiah study Bible or the John MacArthur study Bible. Now, I have a John MacArthur study Bible, and it's helpful. But the point that he makes, uh, Matthew Everhard, the point he makes is that when you have a study Bible of one person, those are essentially notes that that one person has on the entire Bible. Now, the problem with that is that no one person can really be an expert in any given book of the Bible. It's painting with broad strokes from Genesis to Revelation. This doesn't mean that they're not going to have good insights. It doesn't mean that it's not a Bible worth your time. But it does mean if you really want to be helped out on a particular book that you're having trouble with in terms of the context, in terms of understanding the passage or a particular verse or even a word in that verse, um, you want to get your hands on a study Bible that has basically enlisted experts on every book. And so you need to have uh, kind of an end-all, be-all study Bible. Now, two that I would recommend is first and foremost the ESV study Bible. The scholarship is wonderful, and the insights for each book of the Bible are just tremendous. Now, the ESV is tends to have um, scholars who are Reformed in their conviction of theology, uh, but that you do have kind of some broad range of scholars from all kinds of different denominations, so that's not always the case. Now, if you're uh, interested in that kind of thing, um, of kind of reading uh, between different denominational varieties, then that would be a great Bible for you, because the scholarship is really, really well done in it. But if you want to have something that's a little more distinctly Reformed, uh, then you want to get your hands on the Reformation Study Bible uh, by the late R.C. Sproul as the general editor. Uh, Ligonier Ministries uh, puts this study Bible out. It is well done. I have both of those Bibles. Uh, that one, if you want a more distinctly Reformed take on every single book of the Bible. Uh, but either way, uh, both of those study Bibles are going to be well worth your time. And that's what I would recommend that you use to understand the book of Hosea or understand the book of Joel and understanding how they interact with the timeline of the Old Testament narrative. So most of what's happening in books like the prophets, where we tend to be confused about context and what's going on, most of that is happening in the historical account of the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. You could do a Google search of the prophets and the kings, and you can see in real time uh, on charts that have been made, I say real time, but you can see uh, the timeline. I shouldn't say real time because that's long in the past. But you can see a timeline of what's happening in, in the book of Kings and Chronicles and which prophets are speaking throughout those timelines. So you can understand what's happening in the history of uh, Israel and Judah, and which prophets are speaking to which people groups. That really is one of the things that has helped me out tremendously. And the good thing is, in study Bibles like the ESV, you'll find really great charts that are on each page to kind of help you understand the historical progression of things. So that way, 
when you have certain judgments being uh, pronounced to God's people for their idolatry um, in a book like uh, Jeremiah. You can understand where that works out in the timeline of Old Testament history, and you can start to connect dots that aren't just spelled out for you in the middle of a verse. And so that can really go a long way with helping you out with verse or passage context. Kind of a subcategory of that was another uh, issue that was brought up uh, by those of you who answered, and that was the issue of language or translation of words. Now, a study Bible. Even when you have a scholar devoted to each particular book of the Bible, a study Bible is still going to be concise. It's still going to be painting broad strokes. And the reason for that is because their um, real estate on the page is limited. They only have a certain amount of room to write. It's got to be a certain amount of characters. The editing process of getting all the text of Scripture and all the study notes from each book of the Bible on every single page together and collected in a way that doesn't make your book weigh 25 pounds and the spine would be this wide, you have to render things down. So what do you do when you're not seeing the language being interacted with as much as you need it to be, or understanding why it was translated this way, um, especially when in a regular Bible, you might see just a little note, uh, a little footnote off to the bottom of a certain passage, and it might say, some manuscripts translate it such and such. And you want to know more about that. Well, the Bible itself is not going to just spell that out for you and tell you. You're going to have to go to a study Bible and read the notes, but they might not say because of the amount of room required to deal with those, they're going to be limited on what they choose to deal with, selective. So what do you do? Well, I recommend in this case that you buy a commentary. Now, it's going to be incredibly expensive if you buy a commentary on every single book of the Bible, because every commentary set is trying to do something different. Some are written uh, directly to pastors for sermon preparation. Some are highly technical. Some are almost devotional in nature. There's such a wide variety. And so you're going to be dropping thousands of dollars if you try to just build a library from scratch of having all the greatest commentary. So what I recommend doing is start with one book of the Bible. Start with one book of the Bible that you're trying to understand at a very concentrated level, a very deep level of study. Look through different translations of the Bible in that particular book. Um, look through different study Bible notes. And then when you want to get more technical, you want to dig deeper, buy one or two really good commentaries on that book. Now, here is a link that I will share. In fact, let me make a quick note here uh, to make sure that I include it after I record this. Uh, but um, Ligonier.org, uh, R.C. Sproul's website, um, has a really, really great uh, blog entry by Keith Matheson, who's a professor at Reformation Bible College. He has a uh, 66 uh, blog entries, one for every book of the Bible, on the greatest uh, commentaries, in his opinion, on each book of the Bible. Now, these are great because on each book of the Bible, he gives you like five or maybe some runners-up even of the five best commentaries, in his opinion. 
And he'll give you a little summary of each one and what they're trying to accomplish. Which one is the most technical? Which one is the most readable? Which one is uh, kind of stood the test of time in a particular historical tradition? And this is great because if you really don't know where to start, you could go to a website and just be, you know, totally overwhelmed by 20 or 30 different commentaries on the book of Genesis. And you want to know which ones uh, could really be sifted through. Uh, Keith Matheson is a wonderful uh, scholar in his own right, wonderful professor of systematic theology, and he is a really good, uh, he has a really good piece of information for us in those blog posts because he gives you which ones you should work with. And in my opinion, it's really helpful to go through that and just read those, decide which ones uh, you think apply, or maybe you want to buy all five for a certain book, but I guarantee you, that those commentaries, because they're not limited to uh, the amount of real estate they have in a study Bible on the bottom quarter of the page, um, they have an entire book dedicated to that book of the Bible. And sometimes they're in multi-volumes because they just have so much to say. They go into such detail. But this is really your best bet on scholars who are dealing with the translation of the original language. You're dealing with the nuance of words or phrasing, and this is really well done. And you don't have to buy a gigantic book for this. At our church, we just studied through the book of Ecclesiastes in adult Sunday school. Uh, Dr. Ben Shaw, who's also at Reformation Bible College, uh, wrote a book, Banner of Truth, published it in the last few years on the book of Ecclesiastes. It's very small. I don't even think it's 200 pages in, in length. It's very readable but he's still dealing with the original language and even offering his own translation of the Hebrew all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. So you don't have to have some massive book that does this. Small ones will do it too, and that book is really inexpensive. I'll I'll post a link to that as well, just because I I mentioned it and um, really appreciate his work in that book. All right, so our last one is the risk of boredom or a risk of even failure. This is something that creeps up again and again. How do we start in uh, our Bible reading plan, which is normally starting in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and working our way all the way, hopefully by December 31st, finishing Revelation uh, chapter 22, the very last verse. How do we make it through? There's the there's the sad tale of how much it tends to happen that people are working through their Bible reading plan, and somewhere in the first five books of the Bible, they fall off the rails, never to get back on them again. And that's kind of the issue of boredom. How do we deal with that risk? How do we uh, keep working through it? Well, one thing that you can do to make sure that you're always having Uh, progress being made and not risk uh, the failure of totally ruining your plan and never finishing it in the year or however long it is you're taking to to go through whatever plan you're using is, once again, shout out to Matt Everhard and his very simple PDF. I'll put a link to this as well. Really simple PDF that you can uh, download, you can print at whatever size. He recommends printing it uh, out cutting it to size, taping it in the inside of your Bible. All it is is a graph of the entire Bible, every single verse or every single chapter for every single book. Now, what you do is you put a check mark 
after you finish that particular chapter. Now, what this does is it totally eliminates the need for bookmarks because all you got to do is open up the inside of your Bible where you have that little piece of paper taped and you can see where your last check mark was and you can pick it up from there. But here's where this is really helpful. Because the name of the game here is just completion, not necessarily a particular order of completion, you can float around as much as you want. We have this in our minds that because the Bible is written from Genesis to Revelation, that that means that any Bible reading plan, we automatically have to read it in that order. Now, this is helpful, and it's certainly not wrong to do that, and I certainly encourage you to do that. But if you're dealing with this issue of boredom or issue of the risk of failure that kind of steers you away from even trying a plan in the first place, then what you should do is use this because if you are in Genesis, if you're in Leviticus and you just say, you know, I've been in this particular genre for a long time, I really want to supplement the genre that I'm reading. I really want to supplement the Old Testament with the new. All you got to do is just pick up a different book, start at a different place, and put a check mark there. So eventually you can have check marks that are kind of floating all the way around. And by the end of the year, you're just going back and finishing those that you left on the table for later. Now, again, all this does is it helps you still complete the Bible, but you can complete it at kind of a sporadic range. I don't recommend reading this way all the time, but the option is there. When you have something on paper that's still tracking your reading progress, then it's encouraging because you can still see progress being made with your check marks, but you're never guilted into the, well, I left off on Genesis 12, but I just don't feel like reading Genesis 13. It's not that I don't love Genesis 13. It's not that I don't love the book of Genesis, but I just like to read something else. You don't have to pause your plan. You just move the plan to a different place in one of the other 66 books of the Bible. So that's the name of the game is still getting progress throughout the year, but you can float around depending on what uh, is really striking your interest at any given time. And the Lord is honored in that because we're staying in his word. Now, again, we we might want to uh, face our fears if there's a certain book that is a little intimidating to us. But some of these other options that I mentioned, uh, such as a different kind of Bible, a different time of the day to read, um, a good commentary that's going to really give you some great information on a particular book that maybe motivate you to, to go back to it and give it another shot. All of these things together are really going to equip you as a Bible reader to make much better progress than just trying to wing it. Uh, on my website, that's one of my own quotes uh, that I put on there because I think that point really needs to be made is that we have such a... Uh, recipe for success in every facet of life, but for some reason, when it comes to reading the Bible, we just decide we're going to wing it. Now, what that normally equates to is very poor readership, very poor uh, Bible knowledge, very poor consistency. We need to have some kind of plan in place, even if it's somewhat of a fast and loose plan like that. Still, staying in the Bible, getting reading progress, becoming saturated in God's Word, that slow and steady process over time is going to build us up and going to mature us, but we need to take advantage of all of these different avenues. Uh, We need to mix things up at times. We need to go a different route, but still staying in God's Word in some way 
shape or form instead of having to check all the boxes or else we can't read whatsoever. That should never happen. And we should never give ourselves the excuse of letting that happen. And so hopefully these are encouraging to you. Hopefully they really start to uh, spin the gears in your head a little bit uh, and and just uh, give you some great options. If you find yourself starting to plateau here in the beginning of February, I want to encourage you and help you out by giving you some things to think about and most importantly, some things to put into practice. All right, so the links will be in the description of this video. If you're intrigued by some of the things that I've talked about here, I go into much more depth on all of these in my free course on betterbiblereading.com, which will also be in a link in the description, or you can go to betterbiblereading.com forward slash free class on how to read the Bible, um, betterbiblereading.com forward slash free class. Uh, enroll for free, work through it at your own pace, but we deal with all these things, different Bible translations, different kinds of Bibles, putting a reading plan into place, uh, a time and place to read, all of these things to help you out. It's completely for free. Please go over there and make use of it if you have not already. Uh, but let me know what you think about all this. Leave a comment on YouTube. Uh, email me, betterbiblereading at gmail.com. If you have some other things you'd like me to cover on these episodes, I'll be very glad to do it. But thank you so much for watching and listening, and that'll do it for this episode of the Better Bible Reading Podcast with Kevin Morris. Take care.